Arpin, where are we? We are at the uh, the Salon Jacques Beauchamp, which is the media lounge here at the Bell Centre. Um, this is pretty late Thursday evening after the Canadians' uh, 5-1 loss to the Florida Panthers. Uh, we were both at the game. Logistics made it so we couldn't record on Friday, so we're here together. Yeah. Uh, it's the first time in a long time we've actually been together recording. We used to do this back when we started the podcast, the old podcast. We used to do this regularly at your kitchen table. That's right. <laughs> Quite that's right. often, yeah. But it wasn't uh, it wasn't filmed though back then. It, it was strictly filmed, no. uh, yeah. audio. So here we are in the same. So we 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 are here. That's why you might hear some background noises. Um, this is where we eat prior to games, where all the scouts gather and stuff. Is a lot of stuff happens here. So this game has just ended. Um, but you know, I think more so than the loss, we're going to talk about some a couple of bigger picture issues that came up. Um, not only in this game against Florida, but in the game the prior night against Columbus. Um, Let's start with Alex Newhook because I think that it's uh, the fact that he was injured tonight uh, might have a ripple effect on the way that Martin Saint reorganizes his roster, mm-hmm. but also the fact that lately he's probably been the Canadians' best forward or at least the most productive. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was really coming into his own. There was really something going on between him, Suzuki, and Gallagher, yeah. that line uh, had created some chemistry already. And uh, Newhook, it's interesting because let's remember that last year, Kirby Doc took a little while before really getting going on his new team. It might have taken longer for Newhook, but lately he was really showing how a lot more comfortable he was uh, with the Montreal Canadiens, especially playing now with Suzuki. Unfortunately, uh, that seems to have come to a halt where he hit the, well, when he similar, hit the net. Similar to Doc. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, similar to Doc last year, yeah. Absolutely. So uh, for, the, for those who have not uh, seen the game, uh, Caulfield, uh, Newhook early in the third period hit the side of the net and uh, seemed to twist his left leg. I don't know if it's the... the Yeah, the ankle, the knee, or whatever, but it didn't look good. He was not even able to uh, to skate on his own. He asked for his teammates to pick him up and help him uh, escort him off the ice. Uh, so he's going to be reevaluated on when, on Friday, uh, but it doesn't really look good. No, it didn't look good. I mean, whenever a guy needs help to get off the ice, um, obviously not a good situation. And yeah, you're right. I mean, I think I mentioned to you at some point in the game, you know, Marty's really found something with this combination of Newhook, Suzuki, and Gallagher was easily the Canadiens' best line on the road trip. Um, and additionally, um, Martin threw a wrinkle, for, finally, <laughs> on the first power play unit, uh, taking Josh Anderson off there and putting Newhook on that first unit, which opens up a whole host of possibilities that we'll get into a little bit later, but it's obviously dependent on Newhook being available. But the one thing is that he was finding his groove in a big way. And it was interesting to me that, I think we mentioned it in a prior episode, but you know, having Gallagher there to do some of the things that Newhook used to be asked to do in Colorado and was being asked to do on other line combinations where you know, being the F1, going to the net front, being a puck retriever, you know, having Gallagher opposite him really seemed to free him up to, to be a more of a creator and more of a, uh, you know, an imaginative offensive player. Um, Unfortunate timing, you know, because it really, that line had strung together. And again, against the Panthers was probably their best line going into the third period. So uh, bad timing, but um, overall encouraging signs about for, for Alex Newhook, even though despite the, despite the injury, uh, was really showing what made him a first-round pick uh, in that draft. That's the Canadians' favorite draft to go get players from, you know, the Caulfield draft and the Dodgers yeah. draft, obviously. Let's go. Uh, let's watch them go after Pete and Krebs and not too yeah, long. Yeah, exactly. It should be it should be imminent. Um, but but yeah. So we'll, I don't want to speculate too much about that injury. I mean, it could turn out to be minor. It didn't look minor. Definitely, a leg shouldn't fold the way it did um, when Newhook hit the side of the net. But encouraging signs. And let's. Uh, you want to get into the power play? A little yeah, bit? yeah. Let's let's do this right now because I mean. It was such a blatant and obvious change from what we've seen so far. Uh, you know, we've discussed at length how the Canadians have been having trouble finding the right guy to play in the bumper. But what we saw against the Panthers was a setup where there was no bumper. There was a guy that could slide in and and be in the center slot once in a while. It was destined to be, uh, it was supposed to be New Hook mainly. Um, but 
the the fact of the matter is that you had Newhook more often than not that was on the first unit, welcome change for him, uh, that was set up on the right circle, and Suzuki was on the goal line. You had almost two guys on the goal line, basically. You did have two guys on the yeah. goal line. You had Suzuki in the corner on the goal line, Monaghan by the net on the goal line, and Caulfield in his normal spot in his circle uh, with Matson up top and Newhook on the other side. So I think... Uh, New York being uh, actually the fact not having uh, a right shot uh, in the bumper uh, changed the whole dynamic, but yeah. it opened up different passing lanes, and I thought that's what that's what was really interesting. The Canadians were supposed to use that that scheme um, against Columbus, but they didn't have a single power play, so they didn't didn't try that. But I felt as though Nick Suzuki was rather enthusiastic about that setup. Well, listen, I think. Listen, Josh Anderson throughout his career, obviously he hasn't scored a goal period this year, but throughout his career has not been a very productive player on the power play. He's gotten multiple opportunities. This is probably the longest stretch he's had on power play one in a Canadian's uniform. It's, it's been because it's been pretty evident. Uh, but the one thing he was doing was, you know, facilitating possession. Like he was, yeah. He'd basically become a puck retriever, which basically eliminated him as a scoring threat, you know, the Canadians weren't using him at all. He wasn't getting many shots from the bumper spot, wasn't making himself available to be a shooter, really, you know, poor understanding of passing lanes. And, and, and really that bumper player can't be static. You need to be moving constantly to, in order to be an option. Um, he wasn't doing that. So it had been a while that people were, you know, I think fans were clamoring for, even the media had been asking about it. Um, And really what this took was was just a philosophical shift from Marte St. Louis um, that you don't need a right shot in that bumper. You don't have to have Nick Suzuki in the right circle. Not everything has to originate with Suzuki, having Suzuki be more of a, a rover option or, or a, shooting, a shooting option because when he's on that other side, even if he's in the corner and on the goal line, he could be a shooter there. And plus that made Newhook a one-timer option if Suzuki had the puck in the corner. Um, and yeah, because you want to create you want to create more shooting options. And yeah. th it was always the same thing. It was, you know, you, you had Suzuki, if if he didn't pass to Caulfield, you know, would have those two steps forward and then try to uh, uh, try a, a, a wrister. Obviously, from the point, Matheson could be an option too. But you want to have one more guy who can be a shooting option. And that's interesting because that way, with that setup, It seemed to open up things a little bit. Yeah, and it, it just makes them less predictable, right? And, yeah. and so it, the Canadians' power play was relatively easy to scout. Um, you knew what they were trying to do. That, that primary option was indeed Suzuki skating out into the neutral zone, getting a bit of momentum, getting the puck, and then making a decision based on what's available to him and what teams were, were, were leaving available to him was that pass to Monaghan on the goal line in the hopes that He could hit Anderson in the bumper, which never happened, or he can cross it himself to, to Caulfield or give it back to Suzuki. Um, that seemed to be the entire setup of the power play seemed to be to get that situation happening. Now, with Lefty added instead of Anderson, It basically, while it seemed against Florida, and this is what Suzuki explained, it's, and, and even Monaghan explained that it kind of worked out that way tonight, where, um, I should say Thursday night, where it looked like they didn't have a bumper, but that was largely predicated on how the Panthers kill penalties, and they've been excellent on the penalty kill, as Martin Sandler mentioned. But normally, I think you would see Newhook playing more of a traditional bumper role, but they've shifted the point of attack to the left side of the ice. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and I'm sure that has added wrinkles where Suzuki could swing around the net and go to his normal spot on the right side and, and a whole host of other options um, make themselves available. But it was interesting to hear, you know, Suzuki, they haven't practiced this on the ice. Like I, I've been at every practice and we haven't seen this. Uh, Suzuki mentioned that they've been talking about it for a few days. So, and when you think about it, You know, they played Saturday in L.A., practiced Monday in L.A., did not show this. Uh, practiced Tuesday in Columbus, did not show this, um, and then played Wednesday. So that clearly suggests that at the very least Monday and Tuesday, they um, 
they discussed this, even though they didn't show it. And, you know, I think, if I'm not mistaken, the Canadians are now 0 for their last 21 on the power play. Yeah, well, they were they were 0 for 17 before the game against right. the Panthers. They had one power play that lasted two seconds thanks to a Cole Caulfield so penalty. So they finished 0 for 6. But so technically, they're 0 for 23. Yeah. Yeah. So something had to change, right? And so it's uh, – um, and there's a welcome change. I mean, honestly, like it's 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 been a while. And and actually, the other result of it is that Jesse Ullinen got on the second unit to replace Newhook, which is something that Martin Samuel was first asked about, I would say, three weeks ago, maybe <laughs> four weeks ago, and kept saying. And you know, even I asked him prior to the game against Columbus. You know, you see Ullinen, the hands. You know, he scored a gorgeous goal in practice in Los Angeles, um, where he just completely de like right out of his pants. I can't remember who the goalie was, but it was similar to a shootout goal. Right. But it was done within the flow of play and practice. And you just, you see the hands he had, even to, even against the Panthers, there was one situation where he had like a really tight window to get a shot off and, he, and the puck was kind of in his feet and he got it up to a shooting and got a puck off his stick really quickly. Like those offensive instincts he has are real. Yeah. And so getting him on the second unit um, will probably be a, a help to that second, well, you know, new hook, I don't know if that trade really benefits the second unit, but at least it gives you. A I don't know who's going to carry the puck in for that unit, though. Well, that's it. I think it's it's either going to be Baron or maybe or, Pearson or or Ulonen. Or Ulonen. Yeah. yeah, it could be Ulonen. Yeah. yeah. So in any case, it's it's. I think another example we've talked about this before, but like it, it takes a lot for Marty to to kind of change his mind on something. He likes to give his ideas lots of runway. Let's let's let this let's give this a chance to succeed. Uh, gave the Josh Anderson on power play one thing, lots of runway. Uh, finally relented. So you know he can be convinced. Who knows in the background who was trying to campaign for this, but uh, finally came to fruition in this game. So I'm interested to see if if Newhook is meant it ends up missing you know a lot of time or any significant time if their new ideas that they wanted to bring on that PP1 uh, will remain the same even without him because it's it's often a question of personnel. You know, well, so it could uh, be could be Alona who winds up in that spot. Could be. I mean, yeah. they finished the they finished the night obviously with uh, with Josh Anderson uh, playing on back yeah. on PP1. So that all that stuff was pretty short lived. But if Newhook was going to be the bumper, then Pearson might actually be a good fit. If they're if they don't care that they have a lefty there, and yeah. Newhook was basically supposed to be the bumper on that. How about unit. Slaff or Slaff? Yeah, absolutely. There's, I mean, you you gotta the kid has been. I mean, he was not he was not great against the Panthers. Uh, no, but I mean, he was he's been significantly better for the past couple of weeks. Yeah, I think, uh, and at some point, you know, if you if you run a meritocracy, if you have this idea that. Power play is something that you earn. Uh, well, Slaff could could have very well earned well, some time. I think, you know? I think the problem with Slaff on the power play has been, uh, you know, he's in that right circle, one-timer spot on the second unit. And invariably, when he gets the puck in that spot, his, his feet, his, his whole body is not set up to shoot. It's set up to pass, and we saw it in that Panthers game. You know, he suddenly has a two-on-one with Caulfield, and you could tell in his mind, his thought process the whole way was, I'm going to get this puck to Caulfield. So if you don't present just with your body language that you're going to be a threat to shoot, which he didn't, everyone on the Panthers, everyone in the building knew that Slavkovsky was trying to get it to Caulfield because his body was basically pointed towards Caulfield. So you have to at least give the impression that you may shoot it. And this is, you know, the continued evolution of Slavkovsky. But this has been his problem on the power play is that he does not have enough of a shooting mentality and, and, and wants to be a playmaker. And I think that was indicative, uh, or we saw that at least, uh, kind of manifest itself in that two-on-one with Caulfield where, you know, they were taking Caulfield away. Because you know, yeah. no matter who's coming on that two-on-one, if you have Cole Caulfield on the other side, then then your priority is going to be to get it to him. But when the other team decides that we're going to take it, cause even Brodsky was, I think, cheating towards that pass um, for most of that two-on-one, 
Um, he just needs to be able to recognize those things. And you know, obviously, you know, this is part of the process with him, but his process has been significantly better yeah. uh, consistently um, and really kind of turned on that road trip where he just started making more plays and, and just being more confident with the puck and being even more confident without it, protecting it, making plays on the wall. Um, you know, the goal, the goal, uh, which he got an assist on, but the, the Caulfield goal in Columbus that tied the game, um, that was a situation where, again, Christian Dvorak was on a two-on-one with Cole Caulfield, saw that they were taking Caulfield away, so he decided to shoot. He shot it right into the chest protector of Elvis Merzlikens, but still created a rebound, created a scramble. Caulfield wound up scoring, but the play that made that play happen was Uri Slavkovsky in his own end on the wall, getting, you know, protecting it from a potential four-checker and getting it up the wall to Dvorak to create that two-on-one situation, and that's that's the kind of things – those plays are the – plays that Uri Slavkovsky is focusing on as being something that has to be in his in his tool bag. You know, it has to be in his toolkit where if a puck is on the wall and I'm there, I'm going to not only win that battle, but I'm going to get that puck to where I want it to go. And he was probably prouder of that assist than he would have been if he if he set up a one-timer or something. You know, it's because it's the board play has been really his primary focus for the last few weeks. The uh, That goal against Columbus, that line really needed it because their first half of the game was absolutely was terrible. It was atrocious. Atrocious. Yeah. I mean, I've rarely seen Cole Caulfield have such poor puck management. Yeah. He committed something like four or five turnovers. Two only blatant in ones in his own end coming like right off the wall, right into the middle of the ice, just, just horribly Yeah, you know, misguided passes, like and an another one in the uh, in in the in the neutral zone that led to a counterattack. But no, it was, I mean, yeah, four or five turnovers in a, just in the first half of the game. Uh, but they seemed to, you know, that that goal seemed to create some momentum on that line. But uh, especially, to, no, it completely changed the game. I mean, from, yeah. that, from that goal on, the Canadians started to dominate like i mean really, yes yeah. it, i mean about that line i mean they had they had another extremely uh you know uh dominant shift mm -hmm. where i mean they spent uh, they spent their whole shift in the offensive zone and they yeah. everybody changed actually uh well, they were the second but, line on right that, that started with the suzuki line and then the suzuki line got off they came on spent the rest of their shift on the in the offensive zone and actually managed to get a full change in And then as soon as Josh Anderson touched the puck, he lost it, and, they, <laughs> and the shift was over. <laughs> yeah, my, but my point is to say that it, it changes the momentum for the team. But, I mean, that line itself mm -hmm. had two or three very good shifts. But I cannot say in the big picture, despite the fact that they're productive, there was a good game from that line. You know? well, I don't know. I think the second half of that game, they were, they were good. It's, personally, that's, that's how I saw it. I mean, they, they – They definitely improved. They had a tough first half, no doubt, and I think they weren't the only ones in that game in Columbus. Uh, but, you know, and that, that line, it's going to happen with that line. I mean, you know, Cole Caulfield is kind of the primary puck carrier on that line. You know, he's supposed to be the guy that has the puck on his stick, and that's not really his game. You know, he's always been a guy who doesn't want the puck on his stick, who wants yeah. to go and find space and hide. And, and when he's played, Dvorak does not like having the puck on his stick. It's not his strength. Slaff does like having the puck on a stick, but that's a work in progress, and he's still trying to get to the point where he has the – so so that makes Caulfield the primary puck carrier, and that's not – hasn't been his game to date. No, um, that's and, something – his last year in Wisconsin, That's one. Of, that was one of his primary focuses, to, right. to make sure that he'd be the guy who would carry the puck instead of just being the finisher, that he would orchestrate the play – you know, be the main transition guy. So it's something that he added at the college level, but it's one thing to add it in Wisconsin. It's a whole different thing to add it with the, the Canadian jersey on. And it's worth noting, I mean, even though it was kind of a garbage assist because the goal was kind of garbage, but Kovacevic, you know, who is who is challenging Newhook as, as the hottest goal scorer on the, streak, on the team. On the streak, man. Yeah, Four goals in seven games. He's streaking, <laughs> streaking through the quad. Um But he, uh, Caulfield picked up an assist on that goal. Yeah. I think that was his 12th assist of the year, if I'm not mistaken. He had 10 all of last season. So I think he's a good passer, man. Yeah. Caulfield's well, I think he wants passer. to add that element to his game. There's a lot of things that he's trying to change about his game, which is why he gets, I think, a little annoyed about the questions about the goal scoring, even though he is, you know, he is scoring goals. It's just not quite at the same rate as he did last season. But he's trying to become a better player away from the puck. He's trying to become more of a playmaker. He's, he's trying to round out his game. 
and working really hard at that. And that's why I think he gets a little frustrated when he gets asked about the goal scoring because um, I think he feels pretty good about some of the strides he's making away from the puck. Um, so let's just get back to Josh Anderson for one second because – well, we, we mentioned his name is passing, but he has not been a topic yet. But yeah, that, we, that, let's tackle the let's thing. Let's talk. The, yeah, he's back. Martin Saint Louis uh, says that geez. he's back. Okay, well, that's a little premature. Um, it was a bit premature because it's it's difficult for Josh Anderson to play the way he did Thursday night every night. Um, that was playoff Josh Anderson. That's the that's the guy you see in the playoffs where he does do that every night. And the last time we saw him in the playoffs, which was the 2021 run to the final, obviously, um, you know, you think back to the poor Maple Leafs defense. I mean, Jake Muzzin, Josh Anderson basically ended Jake Muzzin's career when you, when you think back to it. But it, he became, he was such a menace in that series that Maple Leafs defensemen, when they had to go back for pucks, they just got rid of it as soon as they could. Like, they did not want – and you kind of saw that against Florida after the way he started the game. There was one point he chipped it behind Gustav Forsling and went after it. And normally Forsling would turn immediately and try and get to that puck, and he didn't do that. He waited, and he let Anderson get that puck and then just basically contained him. And that was – that's the impact that Josh Anderson can have on a way a team plays when he plays that way. And it just seemed from the get-go – it's unfortunate Josh didn't come out to talk. He was requested to talk after the game against Florida. Um, he had obviously left the game after getting into that fight with uh, Gadjevich at the end, which he didn't really initiate, but didn't shy away from either at all. And I think handled himself. It was blunt well. in his hand. If it was, it yeah. might have been, you know, I, I think it was Gadjevich. Yeah, I well, think it was. Helmet was off, but. I think it was his own blood. It was not Gadjevich's no, blood. No, no, yeah. Know? So I I, it, it might, it might have had something to do with this, uh, with his hand. But uh, the Josh Anderson that played against the Panthers, scoring, no scoring, doesn't it doesn't matter, matter at yeah. all. You want that guy on your team, yeah. So it's uh, no, it, and I mean, for the most part, I mean, th- there's been a, a few games where you thought, oh, he's getting further away. You know, from the, the day that he's going to score his next goal because the chances are less and less. But he's been swinging the pendulum in a different, in, in the right direction again. Uh, I thought that against Columbus, it was very energetic too. Uh, obviously, he had something to prove against his former team, but against Florida, he was. He was the best player on the ice. Well, at least for the Canadians, there's no. Yeah. I mean, you, you can debate because obviously there was no Canadian stars uh, on that game against uh, in that game against the Panthers and and Barkov and Bennett were were everywhere. Um, but I mean, for the for the Canadians, you want that guy. Uh, he might not be the one. Obviously, one day he'll have to score. But to go back, <laughs> go back to him and say, oh, you know what? It's been oh for 22. You know, you got to do something. It's It, But you got to do something. I mean, that's what and that's what Josh did. I mean, right from his yeah. first shift in this game, just decided that anyone wearing a white jersey, I'm going to try to destroy. I'm just going to try, and and that's that's an element that Josh Anderson has to his game that not many players do, and that's what makes him an attractive player. You know, I was talking to a scout about him during the game, and listen, like. Until he until he produces the way he has basically his entire career, that cap number is not going to be appealing to anyone. But the fact is, and you know, this scout didn't really agree, but I have spoken to other scouts about Josh Anderson. Like that element of Josh Anderson, where he's playing the way he did against Florida, with that reckless abandon and and that that chaotic violence that he brings to his game, uh, is is a much sought after commodity and and. You know, teams with playoff aspirations will remember the way he played in that playoff run for the Canadians, and it was exactly what it looked like against Florida. He didn't score a goal, but drew a penalty. Could have been a penalty shot. Uh, I think a very good argument could be made that it should have been a penalty shot. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder with Josh's psyche right now how he would have handled that situation. It would have been a very big mental challenge to have a penalty shot granted to him would have been great drama and um unfortunately we didn't get to see that but uh but still drew two penalties by being aggressive and by being fast like I mean, nick suzuki was just marveling at how he split the defense on that play he's like who does that like there's yeah. there's so few guys in the league who can do that 
um, we hadn't seen that in a long time. I agree that the game of Columbus was a slight improvement, but you know, as when he got put on that line with Monaghan and Pearson, and, and it just seemed like his arrival dragged that line down. Like Monaghan, we hadn't seen him play worse than we'd seen him with Anderson. I mean, let's be honest, even Monaghan himself admitted it, and you know, he had a nice bounce back game in Columbus. But Josh Anderson, if he decides that that's the way he's going to play until he scores a goal or for the rest of the season, or he's just going to go like playoff Josh Anderson every night. Uh, that's a useful player. As yeah. you said, it's a useful player, whether he scores or not, because he just instills fear in the opposing defense and, and dumping the puck becomes a very effective weapon with Josh Anderson in that sort of state of mind. And in that mindset, uh, you mentioned the fact that he drew two penalties. He leads the Canadians for drawn penalties. He's yeah, up 16. to, yeah, 16. I think the second best in the, on the Canadians is Mike Matheson at nine. He's tied for second in the NHL. When I checked, yeah, he was tied for second in the NHL behind Matthew Kachuk. Matthew, behind K- Matthew Kachuk. And I would, I would venture to guess that a lot of those is Matthew Kachuk was at 18. I would venture to guess a lot of those are, are offsetting minors, which, which count. In the NHL's count of drawn penalties, they don't all necessarily have to result in a power play. Right. So I think I would venture to guess that Josh Anderson has probably led to the most power plays or close to it in the NHL at this point because he's only taken eight penalties himself. But those 16, I think I would say the vast majority of those 16 drawn penalties have given the Canadians a power play. Yeah, absolutely. So. Okay, I want to circle back quickly to Newhook because you mentioned Monaghan makes me think of the fact that earlier in the season, the Canadians had an embarrassment of riches at the center position, but now without Doc and maybe, <laughs> well. <laughs> they had many centers, I would say. That's yes. what I mean. Right. I'm not saying the that embarrassment they, of riches makes it sound like they had like these world-class centers and that they didn't. Okay, fine. It's lo- lost in translation. <laughs> All right. Okay. They had six centermen for four spots. Right. Are you happy? I'm just, I'm just okay, yeah. so now Doc is Doc is hurt and uh, and Newhook is hurt too, um, so it's going to be tricky. We saw Monahan being put. They, Martin Saint Louis finished the game. Obviously, they were they were trailing and they tried to uh, you know they tried to come back. So they put Suzuki with Caulfield and Monahan. You can do that even less than before, but. There's this shortage of centermen right now. What's what's the solution, you think? I don't know. <laughs> do, do I have to mention the name Mitchell Stevens again? <laughs> Here we go with the Mitchell Stevens talk. Yeah. Um, no, I, mean, I don't know. I don't know what the – I mean, listen, it's, it's – well, they don't have a shortage of centermen yet. No, well, because well, they have, no, because they still have, they have four. They have four because yeah. they've got Monahan, they've got the De- Dvorak, and they've got Evans. So yeah, yeah. Just, they haven't lost. They didn't lose a centerman. They lost a winger. So I mean, it's yeah, but yeah, they don't have. They're not swimming in, in no. the, the same level of center depth. But but let's see what I mean. Let's see what the situation with New York. It didn't look good necessarily, uh, but um, again, that's, I mean, it's it's the similarities to Doc. <laughs> from last season are so striking and it's, it's really, you know, it's really too bad. I mean, listen, like forget what happened to doc this season, but even last season around this time, I wish I had it in front of me, but it seems like it was kind of the timing was somewhat similar for doc to go down. And, but the timing was definitely similar in the sense that doc had figured something out yeah. and you were starting to see it over a series of games and he was gone. Um, not sure what's going to happen with Newhook, but that that risks being the same kind of thing. Um, so I wanted to talk to you about, and this is, you know, so after the game against Florida, Marty was adamant that he thought they played a good game. And, and frankly, I don't disagree with him. You know, I mean, I think there's a lot of circumstances that have to be taken into account. The Canadians were coming off a of back-to-back with travel, long road trip. First game back after a long road trip is historically difficult. They're playing against a really tough opponent that had Aaron Eckblad back, had Brandon Montour back. Like this is, this is the Florida Panthers, you know, team basically yeah. like they they weren't really missing too much. And <clears throat> that team similar to the Kings, but do it in a different way in the sense that getting from your end to the offensive zone requires a lot of effort. It requires it's, and, and it requires execution. It requires being disciplined and smart. And 
you know, exploiting the holes where they are. And it just seemed like every time the Canadians had the puck, um, there were three Panthers around them, no matter where the puck was. Yeah, Kovacevic said that after the game, said this is exactly the sort of play that they do that explains why they they went so far in the playoffs right. last year. Yeah, and then, you know, when Martin talks about, I want our team to be on top of them, mm-hmm. uh, I think we got a good example of what he means by that, by how the Panthers play. So, so I think it's... And this is like, there's been numerous occasions over the last few days where the tone of Martin's expectations have changed, you know? I mean, and he's just taking the reality of how young this team is. Yeah. And even Nick Suzuki, after the game, said how he saw somewhere that, um, that, that the Canadians right now are icing the youngest lineup in the league. Um, I don't know where he saw that. I mean, I know at the beginning of the season, the Canadians officially had the third youngest team in the league, but he kind of pushed back when it was brought up that it was, they were third. He's like, no, but I think right now, yeah, with, yeah, with, with the that, way, with the way things are set with Savard out, Savard, and yeah, yeah, that's it. That right now we're icing the youngest lineup in the league, which is entirely possible. So yeah. it's an interesting shift in expectations. It wasn't so mm-hmm. long ago that Martin said, I don't care how young we are. We have a way we want to play. We have concepts we want to execute. Young or not young, I want us to go and do that. And I think him saying that I thought we played a good game. Yeah. I think they did play a good game, right, you know, right up until Caden Primo gave up three goals he really wished he hadn't given up. Um, uh, and I believe he called his performance some version of unacceptable unacceptable the yeah at the yeah. end he said unacceptable yeah because yeah. he because he, he said that there was um it got into his head that the fact that he gave two identical goals on, on the, the glove on side, glove side yeah. started thinking about it second guessing himself and uh that led <laughs> to, to even Panthers continued shooting every puck to the glove side yeah and he must have known he must have like that even if you make the save you're like man they're targeting my glove my glove's sure. not been not good and so yeah But, uh, yeah, point being that um, I feel uh, he did something similar in the Kings game where he was like, listen, it's, you know, all things considered. We play, it's, He doesn't say all things considered, but when he says we played a good game tonight, I think in the background is all things considered. And that's a bit of a shift for Marty compared to where his mindset was after their first 10 or 12 games where the record was really good and then, you know, he's getting swept up in the possibility that we could fight for the playoffs and all this other nonsense. Yeah. Um, you know, I think reality is fully set in with Marty and his expectations for this club, um, which is a good thing because I think now, you know, I think that needs to be the prism through which Marty makes decisions. And I don't know if he was doing that as much Earlier in the season, I, I think that he uh, he sort of got out of his way for a little bit uh, towards maybe I would say towards the end of October uh, mm-hmm. when he he had, you know shortly we discussed that in a previous episode when he got he caught himself making decision based on on the result and not the process so it became a theme. Um, I mean the fact that he came out after the Panthers game and say well we played a good game. Considering they came, they came back from a long trip, two games in two nights and whatnot. The level of effort was there. Was there? You've you've got to send the positive message yeah. to and Except say they had no passengers exactly, yeah. and tell your team. You know, I recognize what you did. It was not the outcome that they wanted, but they played Stanley Cup finalists. They 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 played a better team, but they didn't play a bad game. Yeah. So I understand, and I I fully agree on the fact that it's a. It, it's reality checking in, uh, settling in, because at this point, uh, the the team has to readjust. You have to understand what what you're asking your players, what they're capable of giving you, mm-hmm. and you have to get your wins where you're going to be able to to get them. Yeah. You know, so sometimes it's not going to be in the score, but if you want to focus on improvement, on development, you have to not only have big picture goals but look okay well let's say with that with that certain young player did he give did he give me more tonight what i asked him yesterday did he put it in an application did he apply it tonight mm-hmm. and so it's taking those 
teachings that he'll give on Monday and say, how do they translate it on Tuesday? And that way they have a much better chance at keeping their, their mind in a positive frame. Because if they want to develop, they have to, they cannot be angry all the time that they'll be losing games. Otherwise, yeah. it's, it's going to be counterproductive. So how do you manage to keep things positive despite the fact that the results are not going in your favor it's because you have as a coach to recognize and let your players know that you recognize where they're improving where they get better yeah and so this is sort of a stark contrast from the game in boston right which you covered and i did not but um that game i mean there is there's some serious ptsd with the canadians from that game <laughs> it's like honestly like martin spent just uh so on tuesday Um, practice in Columbus. Uh, the practice in Monday in Los Angeles was after a day off, which came after the Canadians' rookie dinner in Saturday night in, Los in L.A. Um, and so that practice was hard skating, 45 minutes, super intense, a lot, a lot of skating, a lot of work. Get a sweat on, as Marty described it on Tuesday in Columbus, was a tactical kind of practice, which is very similar to what they did prior to leaving on this trip. They had a, they had a, a work practice at home, went to Anaheim and had a heavily tactical practice. And so they had two situation, they had a situation where they had two consecutive days of practice twice. Once at the beginning of the trip, once at the end of the trip, two practices at the beginning of the trip focused entirely 100% on the forecheck, the end of the trip entirely 100% on rush defense, something that's been a theme throughout the season um, as something that's, that comes and goes in waves. Um, I think, and, and, He even, during that practice, made reference to situations that happened in the Boston game, <laughs> like more than a week prior. At one point mentioned uh, there was one goal that Boston scored where, where Brendan Gallagher blew a tire in the offensive zone trying yeah. to forecheck. Boston came up, got tons of room to walk into the offensive zone. The blue line was, was a total demilitarized zone for the Canadians. Boston walked in, set up a shot, and scored. And so he brought that up and was like, listen, you know, You know, I think that I think they were doing a drill where it was a four on three. He's like, listen, this principle applies at five on four. Go back to that Boston game when we lost Galley and and you guys, you know, at that point you got to think, okay, we're we're five on four. We're we're killing a penalty basically. So those principles come into play temporarily until Galley can get back into the Gallagher can get back into the play. So um, the point being is that he spent two days working on the forecheck, presumably in video as well, um, and saw improvement um slowly it took it didn't take hold right away anaheim was meh uh san jose was meh but that game against la actually even though they were getting kind of dominated in the sense that they couldn't make any headway into the offensive zone um in terms of forechecking and stuff like that like they actually played pretty well and defensively gave up not that many great chances in that game. So it looked depressing to watch and probably depressing to play because they couldn't get anything accomplished, but they did play probably their, their most defensively sound game in California. Um, but then you saw those principles come into play in Columbus. And that's really, I think the background for, we played a good game against Florida, which because a, they did, but they applied those principles that, that they spent so much time working on on that trip and and put them into practice. I mean, listen, you know, a lot of the like the, the goals that Florida scored, uh, at least in the third period, you know, came from the outside. And then those are shots that the Canes are willing to give up. And it doesn't, it's not a reflection of poor rush defense to give up those shots. So, yeah, well, yeah, the goal of very early in the third, I mean, Barron got caught against the, Yeah, know, against the boards, and it allowed Bennett to, you know, to skate through, and and yeah. you know he was in the slot, he was in a prime position, and had all the time and all the space, and to to you know to beat Primo where he wanted. But I guess I get your point. For yeah. the most part, they kept them on the outside. They gave a they gave up uh, they gave up a few admin rushes though. That's still yeah, a few. But again, it's it's all again. Martin can't say that, but. It's always all things considered. I yeah. think considering how young our team is, because and it, I think it expands beyond the, the the schedule circumstances. I think right now, it's considering our team, our 
considering we're trying to build something, considering they have to spend two days on rush defense after spending two days on it a few weeks earlier, um, you know, I, I asked, uh, when was that? Yeah, I guess I asked after the practice in Columbus, you know, is it kind of disappointing that you have to go back to this when you just spent practices not that long ago on this very thing? He said, well, that's kind of the reality of a young team. Like, that's going mm -hmm. to come and go. And when it goes, then you have to address it and you have to stop it. And and that's what we're doing. So, And another thing that, that's been in his discourse a lot, and I've heard some players like Sean Monaghan say it too, is that you fix something and somebody is something else starts yeah it's whack a mole start it starts leaking you know so yeah. they're already always patching holes here and there uh, it's it it can be a little bit exhausting because the, and it's difficult to get your rhythm where you feel as though whenever you 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 try to apply pressure or or fix something in a certain point something else starts going wrong, you know? So it's it's very hard to get momentum, but that's a byproduct of A, a, a young team, and B, a not, a not, not very team. good team. Yeah, that's it. I mean, yeah. I don't think the Panthers are are springing leaks every time they patch one up, you know, or the Kings for that matter. And so, you know, this is this is reality. Um, listen, this this episode, it, it is Thursday night when we're recording this, but it's coming out on Friday. Uh, it's Future Friday. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Future Friday. Woo! <laughs> New branding. We should get some T-shirts made and yes. bumper stickers, and hats. Um, but so for Future Friday, um, Mac Antoine put a story out on uh, on Jacob Fowler earlier this week. I recommend you all to read it on Radio Canada's website. Um, you can throw it through Google Translate if you can't read in French, but I, I, I recommend you do. So why don't you give us uh, some of the editing floor um, bits that didn't get in there? Are there are there any things that? Uh, that you learned <clears throat> over the course of that trip, maybe a conversation that you might have had with anyone that didn't quite make it into your story, but you think, man, I wish I wish I could have gotten that in there. No, everything that I wanted to have in there, I put in there. I used everything. Yeah, you, you bet. You bet. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, judging by the length of it, I didn't hold back. Yeah. But, I mean, this kid is uh, this kid's interesting. And, you know, we, we hear a lot that there's more goalies now that are that adopt the um, – the Grand Fuhrer mentality. It's all about making the, the last save. Yeah. You understand that you're not in the league where the, the, the goalies have the upper hand anymore. It's not all about flashing amazing statistics, but at the right moment, are you going to be able to make the right save? Mm -hmm. And that's what Jacob Fowler is all about. He know, right now, he's a, among the, the leaders at the NCAA level for a safe percentage, and he says it's a business it's a stat-based business. But he says, I, I really tried to put that aside. And he's wise to do that because there are some goalies that have stacked some amazing statistics at the at college level. I mean, only last year, there was this uh, Quebec goalie, Yaniv Peretz, who had amazing yeah. statistics. I think he was at uh, Quinnipiac. Um, it earned him a contract. That's great. But that doesn't necessarily guarantee the fact that all of a sudden he's become this high-end goalie prospect. So you, you take some, you leave some when it comes to, to statistics. But Fowler, he says, as much as I would like to have my statistics like right up there, to me, it's all about making sure that I make the last save. Mm -hmm. And he's what really came out, um, you know, both talking to, to his head coach, to his goalie coach, to his captain, it's the fact that he's a guy that exudes a lot of confidence. Mm -hmm. And it's... It's pretty special for a guy who's still a freshman. Uh, so he just arrived in there, and and he's playing every single game. Yeah, yeah, like he's played every the time. all the time. Yeah. I mean, uh, last time I checked, he had played every minute. Uh, he might have, he might have uh, given the net in, in his last game. I haven't haven't checked uh, the last couple of games, uh, last couple of days. But yeah, he he's been used all the time. The schedule is a bit, a bit weird, uh, and it enabled Boston College to uh, to give him maybe a bit more playing time, and eventually they would like to integrate one of their two uh, other goalies in the mix. Um, but he's been he's been solid for them, and it's funny because the game I saw that was the the night before the game, the Canadians game in Boston, and that was Fowler's worst game of the season so far. Right. Um, Yeah, but tell us about that game because I, I think that was that was a telling game of, Absolutely. of who this guy is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so Boston College starts off 
amazingly well on the offense. They spend the whole the whole uh, period in connect Connecticut's end. Connecticut uh, has five shots on Fowler. He would like to see more rubber, and he doesn't get tested a whole lot. But he gives up a goal that I, not a great goal. Second period, Connecticut starts kicking Boston College's butt, left, right, and center. Uh, they, the the Boston College defense collapses, and uh, Fowler is not in his game enough to stop his teammates' uh, teammates' mistakes. So he ended up giving four goals in like 15 or 16 shots. So at that point, after two periods, I thought, hmm, that might be a game where the head coach will choose to give some ice time to one of his two other goalies. But no, he came back with Fowler because he said after the, the, the game... Well, the game was close, right? Yeah, yeah, they yeah, were they were they were losing by one. Right. So Coach Brown said he's still the guy that was going to give me the best the, the best chance to win, and sure enough, in the third period he came back and Fowler really stood on his head. He had by far his best period of the uh, of the game. Uh, BC their offense, I mean, works on uh, rolls on all cylinders, and and they ended up winning in overtime. And the day after they. BC started slowly again in their return game against Connecticut. And that time, Fowler uh, earned his first shutout. Mm -hmm. So he built on that third period where he said, okay, what I might not have done very well in the first two periods, but we're still in it. I'm going to make the last game, the last save. And it it's really a window into the mindset of that kid recognizing, you know, when to step up. So it's really, he seems like, the sort of guy who can be like uh, a, a big occasions, big moments goalie. Mm -hmm. And I think that's exactly the point that Billy Ryan made when he was arguing. In the video, we, yeah. We saw that video. This kid that, effing wins. Exactly. <laughs> yes. That's it. So yeah. he was arguing with uh, with Vincent Riendo. They were debating between Fowler and some other goalie and who should be higher on their list. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because Riendo is the uh, Riendo is the, the goalie, goalie guy. Yeah. It's the goalie scout. Uh, but Billy Ryan, you know, um, stood his ground and eventually, he, I guess, he won the point. And but that's exactly what we've seen so far from Fowler. Mm -hmm. And the only other game that, according to his goalie coach, was really not up to par it was the, it was the first period of the game against michigan state and who was playing in that for michigan state trey augustine so those two guys are probably the two favorite guys to be in net for the usa at the world juniors it might have played into fowler's head a little bit but he came back and he was phenomenal for the other two periods so again you know the ability to bounce back tonight we saw on Thursday night, we saw from from Caden Primo, a guy that in another life had stellar statistics at the college level, mm. as a freshman among uh, among other things. But Primo, you see, that's where things didn't go right for him against the Panthers. He gave up one bad goal, gave up two bad goals, it messed into his head, and next thing you know, the Canadians were out of the game. Yeah, yeah. But the one thing Primo has taught me, uh, actually, the guy who's taught me this is Charlie Lindgren. If you look at Charlie Lindgren's numbers this season, he's legitimately been one of the better goalies in the league. Yeah. And so I'm going to be honest, you know, like it's, it's, you look to Charlie Lindgren, his games in the NHL, his games in, in the AHL. He never struck me as an NHL goaltender. I didn't think he was going to be a starting goaltender in the NHL. It was, it would really surprise me. I had the same impressions about Caden Primo. I mean, it really, it, the way he was performed, like the inconsistencies in his performance at the AHL level, to me, didn't scream excellent NHL goaltending prospect, you know? So it's all that to say, as it relates to Fowler as well, is that. This is a long process with goaltenders. Yeah. And, and, like, you know, if the Canadians knew that Charlie Lindgren would turn into the goalie he is today, they probably never would have let him leave. Uh, that's why they're so concerned about losing Caden Primo, because they don't know what they have. And, and eventually that's going to apply to Jacob Fowler um, to, to some extent as well. And, and you know, the whole waiver rule is going to probably come into play with him too. And they're going to have to make decisions or they're going to have to carry three goalies at some point, but it's just that it's, it's not, 
it's 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 not a linear line with goalies and, and you need to be more patient you need to just let things play out more with goalies and so as great as Fowler might look now um, the transition to professional hockey is going to be difficult it's 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 almost it's it's very unlikely that it won't be I mean you look at I mean like all the off-ice stuff aside but even Spencer Martin's Spencer Martin no, Spencer Knight. Spencer Knight, sorry. Spencer, Spencer Martin's, Martin's the other goalie, yes. Yeah. Spencer Knight's path is not, his story is not written yet. You know, yeah. it's not finished, but it's nonlinear. I mean, that's a, that's a first-round draft pick. And so it's, 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 I just find it relevant to Primo now. Like, listen, he had a tough night against Florida. Does that mean he's garbage? No, of course not. He's had a good season. He had one bad game. He's a young goalie. He's trying to develop. Um, it happens. Charlie Lindgren had that at the same age, you know, and, and, and it's just the level of patience required with a goaltending prospect, whether they're a first round pick, whether they're a third round pick, whether they're a seventh round pick or whether they're undrafted like Lindgren was, um, is a lot higher than what you require with a forward or a defenseman. So I, I think though that the, any team in the NHL gives them a great service by drafting guys that are going to college or that are playing in Europe mm -hmm. rather than the, in the CHL where they have to make a decision on signing them or not faster, much faster. It's yeah. already, you already have to make that decision and the rules are, are stacked against you. Why Primo left college so soon. So soon, man. Yeah, it was kind of yeah. not a great move, but I think in Fowler's case though, it's, it's, he's performing so well as a freshman that that temptation is going to be there. Yeah. But you know? he doesn't but, talk like that. He well, that's it. He's, he sounds like a guy a good, who could be two years, three years, maybe, I'm not sure if he's going to be there for the full four years, but he well, could he be right there. at the draft. He wants to overcook in college. I mean, that was yeah. his, that was his that was that came out of him on his own, you know. So clearly, that priority is there. Um, yeah, because it's interesting. He said, "I went too." I should mention. Oh that. man, yeah, yeah, yeah. He lost 20 pounds. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if he started Noom. Uh, but <laughs> no, that's a, uh, no, actually there's a nutritionist, uh, at, at Boston college that's, uh, helped him a lot and, uh, he feels a lot more agile. Yeah. He was, um, he, he was, he was chubby. He was chubby. He was, chubby. He was, he was carrying chubby. unnecessary weight. Yeah. What was and, he playing uh, at 230, 225? He was at two. He said that at the draft, he was around 223 and now he's playing between 200 and 205. And I looked at Yeah, they looked it at the draft, and that's why I think a lot of people were worried about his conditioning and his 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 habits. For But sure, it was clear that in what you learned that that he's he's taken that seriously now. And yeah, that it's more seriously than he was uh, before. So he's because he's a guy that one of his main strengths is his lateral pushes. So he moves left and right with a lot of power, with a lot of efficiency. Mm -hmm. But uh, having that less weight to carry it's going to make him even more explosive he needs to work more on his on his on his footwork maybe but yeah. when it comes to the lateral push he's really is uh, really effective there there's a lot of work also that's being done with his uh, what they call post integration uh, yeah. maneuvers so you know the reverse VH and uh, other stuff like that but he's um, I found him a little bit quick on his knees but that's he's not the sort of guy that will be on his knees and just like hit me you know like carry yeah, used yeah. to be uh but it's more like really working the angles to making sure that you're going to uh uh you, you're gonna you're gonna bloke it from yeah exactly yeah, from any angle him. yeah um so well so i think that the canadians are wise to let him overcook i love that expression mm. uh so if the kid is not in too big of a rush it's going to be a good thing martin saying we send a message to all the kids uh at development camp last summer they said there's only that many chairs that around the table um so you got to steal one from somebody else but for a goalie you cannot you cannot rush to steal somebody else's chair you have to make sure yeah. that you're going to be ready the day that the opportunity presents itself so if he wants to rush things and 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 turn pro too quickly uh he might not have that opportunity so it's better to make sure that he's ready and so the canadians have 
a goalie in the NCAA. They have a they have a couple in, in they have some in Russia. Um, they have one in particular in Russia in the MHL who is uh, Yevgeny well, we, Volokin. Who, yeah, well, we, we spoke about him last week. We spoke yeah. about him last week, and this is really. Uh, I mean, these two goaltenders. You know, you visited with Fowler. We obviously haven't visited with Volokin, but these two goalies have. I, saw, I was talking to Eric Raymond actually before the game in Columbus. And he's watching these goalies, yeah, like regularly, you know. And he's like, "Yeah, that's that's two promising kids we have." He's yeah. he's really sees a lot of potential in both of them, and it's 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 an exciting, um, you know, it it was it was maybe a bit of overkill the Canadians drafting as many goalies as they did at the last draft, but I don't think so because it's again Charlie Lindgren. <laughs> again, the example I give is Charlie Lindgren. You just don't know. You don't know which goalie is going to come out of the but Charlie's. Sauce. Charlie's almost thirty, though. I know. It's. I mean, there, I mean there's he's a bit of an anomaly. He's not. It's not yeah. a normal path. <laughs> but my point being is that you know you can't expect there to be a ton of Charlie Lindgrens and to, for them to follow that path. But the point being that it's volume drafting goalies is not a dumb thing. Like the guy, a guy who might look terrible now might wind up looking great three mm -hmm. years from now. And the guy who looks great right now, like, for example, Jacob Fowler, uh, might not. You know, it's just – you just don't – it's really hard to know. And the, the, and, and the NHL scouting community has not figured out the projection of goaltenders. Uh, and, and this is no not, – it's not a knock on the scouting community. It's just it's so difficult to predict. And it, it really it, – it's – it's more meant. It's more of a mental position than any other position in hockey, and it's really hard to to to, to know someone uh, that deep into their soul at that age because they're still not finished developing personality-wise or mentally. Um, but you know, the Canadians have at least two, if not more, really. But at least in the case of Volokin and, and Valor, two really promising-looking kids right now. The fact that the Canadians have so many draft picks also. Uh, enable them to say well, we're going we're going to draft tons of yeah. goalies you know yeah. so that that helps when when you have only a finite amount uh you know that there there are some teams that won't even draft one goalie every year they'll skip uh you know the 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 odd year and say you know what we're okay for now uh we can't have too many and whatnot uh but the canadians they they slept on that for so long mm -hmm. and they have not been very successful in that regard in trying to find, you know, a replacement for Carey Price. Right. Uh, I mean, the closest thing that they have right now is the guys that they picked up on Raver to replace Carey Price for 10 days. So, yes. <laughs> yeah. Who's, um, who's there? Speaking of which, uh, I mean, let's, let's wrap up with that. Uh, I mean, usually we finish with Future Friday, but there were three Oilers scouts at the Columbus game including their assistant general manager and a goalie scout. So yeah. either they were there for Merzligans or, or they were there for Montembeau. Uh, but Montembeau continues to make an attractive case for himself. I think they were there a bit more for Columbus than for Montreal. I think the fact that it was Montreal was probably a good reason to be there. Um, you know, I mean, Merzligans has a long contract. That, mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> there's one GM in this league who, would be scared of a long contract to a goalie, <laughs> probably be Ken Holland um, with the one he gave Jack Campbell. But it's, um, but yeah, Montembeau is, you know, he's he's put him, I don't think, I would handicap the Canadians' willingness to trade him at being uh, still really low just because they're going to want to let this the contract extension talks play out. Um They're going to hit. They're going to need to hit a wall in those negotiations for them to be willing to trade this guy. I don't think that they, uh, without knowing how that might go, and because let's be honest, I mean they're not going to get a massive return for any of their goalies. I don't think it's just not. Even though Edmonton's in the situation they are, if the fact that Edmonton has not traded for a goalie yet to me shows that they're not willing. To just be like, here, just no. get, I'll give you whatever you want. Just give me a goalie as fast as humanly possible. They're they're riding it out because they're not willing to pay that price. And so, if that being the case, and if you're going to get a normal goalie price, which historically we have seen goaltenders do not bring back a great return in trades, you know, I don't see, I don't, 
don't you need really you need other teams to need goalies. Yeah, not just Edmonton. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and express that need for real. And you and there's the seven team no trade list with Jake Allen, which I think is probably going to complicate things. I don't. I, I would not be stunned. I don't know this for a fact, but it would would it really shock you if Edmonton was on that list? No. So, so it's you know it's it's very. Um, it's a very fluid situation. I, I just think that the Canadians, no matter which goalie they trade, are going to want a price that probably Edmonton is unwilling to pay. Uh, if it's even, if it, even if it winds up being Edmonton, I think there are other teams in the mix who, who would like to shore up their goaltending around the league. Yeah. Um, so we'll see. But Montembeau, it was funny. Like he bookended that trip in a way. If you t- if you discount the Boston game. You know, he was a starter in Anaheim. He was a starter in Columbus. Um, kind of, you know, kind of showed the progression that the kind of the team made between those two games. And but but he was he had to be excellent in Anaheim and and you know, quasi stole the game with the amount of chances they gave up to the Ducks. Um, didn't really have to do that against Columbus. So I thought. You know, he was there when he needed to be. He made the saves he needed to make, and in Anaheim, he was spectacular. So it's, it really, uh, from his point of view, uh, funny story actually. After the game in Columbus, I asked for his perspective on the two shifts, the shifts that we mentioned earlier, yeah. where they stayed in the offensive zone. And so, if you remember, you know, Anderson came out, coughed up the puck, the puck came out all the way back to his end, and so Columbus was finally able to get a change in. Montembeau drilled it up to Armia and gave him, you know, pseudo breakaway. And he was like, uh, he's like, yeah, I just saw him and I, I zipped it to him. I was like, yeah, that was, that was a good pass. Like, yeah, I was yeah. kind of, I was like, I really wanted an assist there. I kind of, kind of upset he didn't score. <laughs> and then when Armia came out, I started with, um, so by the way, just so you know, uh, Sam's not really impressed with it. Like he really wanted an assist and you failed to deliver. And he was like, yeah, I know. I really, I really wanted to give him an assist. I really didn't. I really that didn't. was a, an elite pass. It was an elite pass, and Armia shot it into his stomach, and nothing much came of it. He was very disappointed in himself, and then we're like, "No, but you wound up getting the game winner." So all was well that ends well. Was like, "Yeah, but Sam didn't get an assist on the game winner." It's oh, like, okay, I was like, "You could get Sam dinner at some point," but anyhow, that's just a funny little. Sam wasn't serious. You know? No, no, let's no, be of let's not. be clear. Like he yeah. wasn't actually upset. No, no, uh, he just thought. Pass of that quality, I should get an assist out of it. And Armia, Armia didn't didn't deliver, but he did in the end of the game. So, but there, no Mon- hard feelings. Monty still has to convince a significant portion of the fan base that he's for real. I don't know. Uh, his progression curve is is steady, and he's going. It is it, you know he's going upwards like all but, the time. But I think that there's think a terms, stigma. I think terms going to be an issue in this negotiation because of that. You know, because I think Monty would be fair to feel that he has earned some trust from the organization and that he's worth investing in for multiple years. Uh, and I'm, I don't know the extent to which the organization is willing to, um, to, to give that trust because just the nature of the position as we've been talking about is so sporadic and can, can suddenly shift in a player's career. Um, I'm not suggesting that that's going to be the case with Sam Montembeau. You know, I think, you know, the team that was here last night on Thursday looks at him and is like, damn, you know, it's just, there goes, there, that was a very quality goaltender that just left our organization on waivers for nothing. Uh, but I think term and AAV are going to be a thing because uh, it's, it's, I don't want to call it a crapshoot because it's not. A lot of research and a lot of thought goes into evaluating goaltenders, but. It's difficult. It's a difficult projection to make, even when a guy has looked so good for uh, the amount of times, the amount of time that, which is really, you know, less than two seasons. It's not a lot of time. It's, no. It's, the sample's not huge. So it's it's a difficult uh, commitment. But to within make. those two seasons, the consistency in his games yeah. is interesting. You know, he doesn't he doesn't go into, like, huge ups and downs. You know, he, he, does, he hasn't had as many truly bad games as even – Jake Allen, yeah, you know. So there's there's a, there's a, a baseline, there's a level there that's that's interesting, that's comforting. But there's such a stigma on the fa- uh, for many people over the fact that he's a waiver pickup. And I don't think he, the Canadians, I don't think the Canadians look at that. 
I think the Canadians are looking at sample size mm-hmm. and they're just, and just the history of goaltending and how, yes, from the beginning of last season to now, it's been a steady progression. He's looked very consistent. He looks great, but I think you could go back in time and, and find many goalies over the course of that same sample who looked great, who turned out to be not great. And, and that's, I think that's, I think that's the concern. Yeah. My bold prediction is that he's going to sign before the new year. Really? Yeah. You're saying this on December 1st? Yeah. Well, that's yeah. pretty bold, man. I know. Right. That's okay. why it's a bold prediction. Wow. I'm giving it a month. Wow. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go against that. I think it's going to drag on into, into the new year. Okay. I'll buy you a beer. Well, okay, you're beers. already conceding defeat. Two beers. No, 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 no. no. But uh, the wage, I'm waging okay, like a yeah, we'll, couple we'll, of beers. We'll bet, we'll bet a beer. We'll bet a beer. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, let's go have one. Yeah. All right. All right. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Talk to you Monday.